Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. My name's Aaron and each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy James. I am the law. And this week is no exception as we are looking at Judge Dredd, the Sylvester Stallone hit, miss, and the Carl Urban reboot hit. Massive hit. In, in what was going to be dubbed a Dread vs. Dread, but there was no there was no comparison, really. There's no... So I guess this week we're going to explore the fictional history of Judge Dredd. I guess in some sort of way, mate, maybe Sylvester Stallone's attempt at Dread has been misunderstood over time. Has time been better to the wise-cracking one-liner Dread that we all came to love? No, 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 it no, 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 a movie that I don't think really kind of won over fans at the time and certainly hasn't since. It hasn't, but do you know what? I, when we go in our in-depth analysis, maybe it's got some redeeming qualities. Maybe. This is the hmm. third part of Sorry In My Seat does dystopian future because in the last few weeks we've done Waterworld from 95. So you had an option in 95, <laughs> Judge Dredd or Waterworld. Right. We, last, is, is it a choice? <laughs> <laughs> and last week we uh, we did Mad Max. We looked at the original trilogy and then the Fury Road um, reboot sequel that came along later. So um, yeah, really on a kind of dystopian a hat trick at the moment, <laughs> yeah. which is quite surprising. We have seen a couple of films along the way that we're also going to talk about, but if this is your first time, welcome. Leave us a review. Hit that subscribe button. You get a new episode each and every week on a Monday morning, completely free. And this is Sorry My Seat, presented by two lovable nerds that love movies, love talking about movies, and just do it in front of microphones. Yeah. That's all it is. We're not we're not critics or anything, although are we any closer to our Roman Rotten Tomatoes? Our Roman Tomatoes. Our Rotten Tomatoes. No, we we'll start our own one, mate. I think we can be Rotten Tomatoes accredited uh, because we have released reviews consistently for over two years. No, that's crazy. I think so. Maybe. We probably could get it, but I'm not about it because I I can't. With great power comes great responsibility, James, and I will abuse that. And there's a lot of people that really want to be a Rotten Tomatoes critic, and I don't want to get it just because I can. <laughs> yeah, that's just, I just want to do it because other people can't. <laughs> just, so we're the opposite. Yeah, the opposite. So uh, just, yeah. Um, congratulations, women's football. There you go. That's the thing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by the time you've heard this, it's well late. <laughs> so, you know, sorry about that. Yeah, but the Lioness has heard it. There you go. All right. Defeating the uh, the German team 2-1. What a, what a victory. What a great achievement in, in the sporting world. We're long overdue a sporting uh, podcast, James. Yeah. Because we've done it once, twice maybe. Yeah, three times, a lady. Sport maybe hasn't been our forte. Some would argue no films have been our forte <laughs> on the quest well, to find know. the we, greatest. We, we purposely chose to do war. <laughs> We and, forever Hornets. and in a space, you know, for our 200 episodes and Masters of the Universe for our 100th episode, we have done bad movies as well as good because we leave no stone unturned on the quest to find the greatest of all time. If you've got a good idea, we'll make a great podcast. Let us know because fuck it, we're running out of ideas. <laughs> um, a to Z, so mate. There's going to be another A to Z at some point and there's probably going to be a deep dive look into uh, another 80s movie shortly. But um, yeah, for this week, Judge Dredd, an episode that I've wanted to do for a while because... I love the Dread movie, the Carl Urban film. Yes. And I had no memory of the 95 one other than it was just kind of cheesy popcorn blockbustery demolition man style fun with Sylvester Stallone. Pretty much, yeah. But when we talk about it, well, there's some reasons why. I, do you know what? No spoilers, no spoilers. But first of all, I want to kick off um, with a film that I reviewed online a few weeks ago. So long ago, in fact, I can't remember if it was Netflix or if it's Amazon. <laughs> so it's, oh, on, it's, it's, it's up in the air. Up in the air. It's on Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix. So 2009, directed by Jason Reitman, written by Reitman and a Sheldon Turner, starring George Clooney, 
Vera Firminger, Anna Kendrick, and Jason Bateman. One-scene appearances from Sam Elliott, Zach Galifianakis, and J.K. Simmons. What's not to love about that? Sam Elliott having a moustache. Yes, yeah, Sam. Of course Sign he. me up. <laughs> Can I just say that this is one of a phenomenal... Right, so I don't know about how you feel about George Clooney. I think George Clooney's phenomenal. I, I forgive him for Batman and Robin. Other than that, I quite like Clooney. I, he draws me in. I find him charismatic. He makes good movie choices usually. In, you know, I'll always think of Syriana. What a great film, and he's amazing in that. George Clooney with a beard, mate. Didn't know I wanted it. Turns oh, out I, I need it. it. Yeah, <laughs> so, we all need it. Uh, Vera Farming, you're a huge fan. You've been a fan of Base Motel? Yeah. So you've been a fan for a while, and let's be honest, she, she stars in some bad films, but at the same time, she's always good. She, mm. Anna Kendrick, huge fan. Very uh, talented. Jason Bateman, I'm a huge fan of, and, you know, J.K. Simmons, I'm all up on that. We talk about Michael Shannon and Mahersh Ali. I reckon J.K. Simmons is up there, top tier, god there. The Simmons, yeah, well, I, I think, think so. I, I think he could be Mount up there. Mount Simmons. Mount Simmons. And the only shame about that is there is one person above them, and that's uh, our Lord and Saviour, Amy Adams. Amy Adams, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, Clooney works as a downsizer. His job is to travel across the country and lay off employees on behalf of the company that hires him and his firm. What a job. He basically, he basically says, his, his line when he's introduced, he opens up and he's like, I do it because some companies are too much of a pussy to do it. <laughs> so he does it. So he's like, he's like, I don't know why they pay me, but I do it for them, thus costing them more. And I really like it. Um, when not working for Jason Bateman, he gives motivational speeches about living your life out of one backpack. And that happens really early on. It's like, take your life, boil it down to a backpack. Friends can't take them with you. House can't take it with you. Basically lives this life of this backpack is your life. Mm. And that's the only thing you need to care about. Um, Clooney is drawn to life on the road, constantly travelling and being free from burdensome relationships and material possessions. He enjoys being part of the business class. He enjoys staying in hotels and he detests the 30 years, 30 days a year he has to spend at home. He actually mentioned it. So it's a voiceover told he narrates his own film. It's, it's really good. It draws you in. It's that sort of quirky-ish film that if it's not got you within five minutes, he's probably not going to get you. It's probably not for you. But I find that's a uh, that's a Reitman thing. He, all of his films, if yeah. you are good to, he's quirky and charming. But if it's not for you, you'll find out pretty soon. You can just turn it off. Um, he hasn't involved. He hasn't been involved in his sister's lives, despite one of them being about to marry. He has a personal goal to earn ten million frequent flyer miles and gain entry to one of the world's most exclusive clubs. So basically, he mentions it all the time. He's all about his frequent flyer miles. He doesn't want to use them. He wants to get to ten million because there's only like six other people in the world that have done it. Um, unfortunately, Bateman hires Anna Kendrick, a new upcomer, with ideas to revolutionise the way the business runs, with the face-to-face -face meetings being replaced with video calls and strict scripts that mostly anyone can do. Clooney hates the idea and challenges it, telling his boss that the job requires that face-to-face -face element, and so he is challenged to prove this theory and is sent on the road with Kendrick to determine which way of doing things is best. Along the travels, Clooney meets fellow travelling businesswoman Vera Farmiga, another person who enjoys life on the road. They get together and feelings start to change. As Clooney grows closer to Farmiga, he also starts to see the world from another perspective. But so does Kendrick. I've got to say this, mate. This is your sort of film. This is a phenomenal film. 2009, I hadn't even heard of this film. I'm going to say now. Set my stall out early. Vault. It's a cracking film, great snappy dialogue, characters. And do you know what, mate? It's the pinnacle of no happy endings. Kendrick, who and I think it's like a generational thing as well. It's like Clooney, no, he's like, you have to be there. You have to understand what they're going through. But he doesn't say it from a heartfelt place. He's, he just knows how to respect himself. Kendrick is the up and comer, given all the power by like Bateman. It's like, here's a budget. They run drills. They don't always work because that's not how she sees the world. Cynical. 
but she herself is a good person. Whereas you've got the reality of George Clooney, whose job it is to fire people. Is he a better person? But he makes morally bankrupt decisions. It's a great dynamic that's mirrored perfectly in opposite characters. And it's great storytelling. It's, it's phenomenal storytelling. Does it go where you think it's going to go? Sometimes. <laughs> so like 75% of the time, it'll take you exactly where you think you're going. Does George Clooney end up at his sister's wedding? No spoiler. It is spoiler, but yes, he does. But that's not where the film goes. Where you think the film's going with a happy ending, maybe not. It's a cracking film that was a joy to watch for the hour 50 runtime. It was, at no point was I checking my clock or wishing that character would bugger off. The one scene performances from J.K. Simmons, or was that Galifianefkos, who I'm not a big fan of, charming in the, at the beginning, mate, when he doesn't understand he's being fired. So George, so George Clooney has to like explain to him what this means. He's like, I don't know what this means. It's like, basically, you don't work here no more. <laughs> it's, it's really good. J.K. Simmons is basically told by Anna Kendrick's like, oh, you can get re-educated. He's like, no. It's like, I'm a six-year-old man. That's not going to happen. It like basically shits on her idealism. And then, do you know what? It was up in the air. It was a treat for the eyes, a visual, well, not visual, sorry, a pampering for the mind. It was a great, it's the sort of film that I love to watch. And I cannot speak more highly of Up in the Air, which was phenomenal. And the feedback from everyone I've asked has been, oh, it's a great film. Why is it taking you so long to watch it? <laughs> well, that ticks just about every box. I mean, it, like you had me at Reitman, you had me at Clooney, you had me at Farmer, you had me at Kendrick, you had me at Bateman, had me at Simmons, you know, Galifianakis, you nearly lost me. Oh. But you pulled me back on. And if everyone loves it online, I think that's the recommendation I needed. Reitman's a funny one. I think in 207 episodes, you know, 208 episodes, we haven't done a Reitman episode. No. I mean, you think about the films that he's produced or directed, you know, obviously the, the the crowning achievement probably being Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, but Meatball's massive fan of the the Schwarzenegger era of Twins Junior and Kindergarten Cop, was it? Mm. The Ratman movies. Um, I'm surprised we haven't done that as an episode yet. So I'm definitely, I, hover, I, I heard your glowing review of it online mm. and I hovered on it on Netflix the other day and thought, should I watch it? And I did veer it the last minute for an alternative, but you're saying watch it then. I definitely watched it, mate. It was hella fun. I, I he also did that underrated film, uh, Thank You for Smoking, which is a film that just never comes up. It just never comes up because I do like that film. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, quirky as fuck, mate. <laughs> I'm gonna watch it. I, I nearly watched it the other day after your recommendation, seeing it online. But instead, I, I hovered over a movie that I've been thinking about watching for ages, and it's a, it's one that pushes the two hour mark, so it's not something that I can watch all the time. What we're having a little one. Um, but I did finally take the plunge, and that is The Lost Daughter. And I'll be honest, it's because of us recently talking about The Father uh, with Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. Yeah. This is an Olivia Coleman movie um, directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal, also stars Jesse Buckley and Dakota Johnson. Um, I'm not going to go into as much detail as you did because this is a film that you want to watch to experience for the acting because the story is told through the eyes and through the actions of Olivia Coleman's character. She is um, a... Uh, Italian professor, so sorry, she's an Italian language professor taking a break on a Greek island. Um, you know, she's writing, she's, uh, or, or, well, she seems to be writing, but is she also escaping something? Is she going there in some form of pilgrimage or self discovery? Is she there for just pure R&R? Her motives aren't really clear. You see her arrive into the island at the beginning of the movie. She's greeted by Ed Harris, who's kind of like the caretaker. Fucking Ed Harris. I know he gets around. <laughs> mate, he looked out of this movie. Like three scenes on a Greek island? Yeah, go on, I can squeeze it in. <laughs> oh, maybe then. Um, and uh, yeah, so she's holidaying there. She's vacationing there. Um, you know, it's a film where on her way in, everything looks great. You know, the sun, the sea, the sand, um, you know, the apartment. But very quickly, you know, it, Maggie Gyllenhaal is, is excellent, you know, as a director. 
you know, very quickly, uh, subtle things like the fruit bowl, the fruit is moldy. You know, the perfect apartment, quiet apartment is actually right next to a lighthouse. So the light shines in all uh. night. Um, you know, so is it actually idyllic or is it just that, you know, she's escaping something. So she's choosing not to see these things. That's, that's cool. I'm already interested in this. She then starts to spend her days on a beach. She starts to befriend a local, um, like, uh, worker kind of, uh, someone who runs the beach hut that way. Um, she starts to engage with a very large family who seem to be holidaying at the same time that she doesn't know anything about, but they are the people you don't want to be holidaying with. They're loud, they're brash, they're sweary, they're drinking on the beach, smoking. Every time you go around the corner, they're there. Yeah, they're, they're taking up all the sunbeds, you know, and, and asking, you know, everyone to move because they need to put all this together because there's like 40 of them. And, you know, Olivia Colman's just, character. You've described my fucking nightmare. <laughs> uh, Olivia Colman as, as leader, uh, and name's leader, um, you know, puts her foot down a little bit. She's like, no, I'm not going to move down the beach. And actually I was here first and I'm on my holiday. And I, you know, and so she causes a bit of friction, but she does start to become slightly obsessed with one of the characters. Uh, so one of the family members, Nina, um, who's played by Dakota Johnson and her young daughter, um, that start to then infuse flashbacks of Olivia Coleman's own upbringing and her relationship with her daughters. And is there some mystery there? Has something happened to one of her daughters? The film is called the lost daughter you know, what happened to their relationship. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about it because this is, it is pinned as a psychological thriller. And it is a thriller in the sense that there's a lot of tension in the scene where a doll goes missing. Mm. And and it, and it's a testament to the acting. And, and Maggie Gyllenhaal, Maggie Gyllenhaal has this thing as a director. She's not afraid to get right up close. There are scenes of two people talking where the camera is so close to someone's face that you know, you can't actually see, they're not fully in frame. She's very intimate. She gets very, very close in there. And Olivia Coleman's one of them people that accept that and use that to her advantage and can really kind of emote and show a hundred feelings from little expressions and little nuances, you know, with her eyes, her face, her mouth, you know, how how her eyebrows just slightly raise. You know, she, Olivia Coleman is very expressionistic. And Olivia Coleman, I find as well, has that, when she smiles and acts, you know, in films like The Favourite, where she's a bit eccentric, yeah. she can go right up there. Really, you know, films like Hot Fuzz, you know, that she's yeah. like, she can go the far end of of comedy and at the drop of her face, she can become very sombre and very grounded yeah. and very emotive and, you know, very, very, very kind of connected to the characters that she embodies. And that, she's an absolute tour de force. And I think this movie shot brilliantly. A lot of the tension also comes in Jesse Buckley, who plays the younger version of Olivia Coleman's character leader in flashbacks. Again, incredible, incredible scenes from Jessica Buckley in this as well. Jesse Buckley. I can't rave it enough. That's two real high recommendations off the bat, both on Netflix. That's mental. Lost Daughter and uh, Up in the Air. Completely off topic, but I guess, no, it does stay topic because Judge Dredd is a UK, a UK creation probably one of the best comic book ad comic books that we ever put in the world. Do you think Olivia Coleman is probably the best of British right now? Uh, I mean, she's won Oscars. Yeah. She's in high performing films. She's outperforming Anthony Hopkins, mate, in films, which you never thought would happen. You never, yeah. I mean, let's put this, I mean, if you're going to do best of British at the moment, Hiddleston's going to get it for me. There's just something about Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. That I he think is brilliant. Though. Low key kind of taken up a yeah. lot of time. Pandemic. I think Hiddleston is is uh, is absolute top dollar. Did you ever see that Skyrise film I told you to watch? Yeah, that film that he's that's a great I film. That, that, that was cracking yeah. actually. I really did enjoy that one. I think Coleman, Jodie Comer, you know, from obviously Killing Eve. I think she's nailing it at the minute. Um, Hiddleston probably 
Cumberbatch, obviously, is a huge export. He is, but I just need to, well, I think maybe Coleman. I think she it, definitely top three. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe worthy, mate. We talked about last week about extending the God tier. I'm just saying Olivia Coleman might be on my. <laughs> well, let, let, well, let's put it this way. If, if, if Coleman brings a movie out, I'm going to go watch it. Yeah. I can't say that for Cumberbatch, actually. That's true. To be fair. He does. He does. Uh... You know, you know that George Clooney has that famous saying, like, one for them, one for me. Yeah. And to be fair, Clooney's given us a lot. So I think that is a bit biased. <laughs> but Benedict is very much like, one one for me, one no one will see. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I know he was in that movie about um, electricity, which got very dark very quickly with Michael Shannon. Yeah. But there are, I, think, I, I don't know. I don't know, but in my, in, in my, knowledge of Benedict Cumberbatch there's a lot of period piece films that I haven't seen him in it's funny you should mention that because we saw that film didn't you that film because of the because it was one of his last he produced Harvey Weinstein is that randomly watching this story about two people competing for electricity and then and then it takes a tonal shift when Michael Shannon tells you a story about a man he killed (laughs) (laughs) and you're like Fuck me! I did not see yeah. this tonal shift coming. There you go. Thank you, Shannon. I, well, I, I had a chat. I felt really bad. I had a chat with a complete stranger on the phone the other day, and um, we just <laughs> just rang him up. No, no, we, we, we were talking about something else. Then we got talking about films because I ordered about the the MCU kind of thing. It was being mm. announced at the time, like Phase Five and Phase Six. And he was like, "Oh, you're a film fan." And anyway, he goes, "Oh, I watched a great film the other night, uh, Le Mans '66." And and then when I said to him, I said, "Yeah, but don't you find it weird that the the story the the storyline of that is about how the big American company beats the beats the low kind of boutique family family uh, passion individually the, performed like they don't have mass engines like every every engine is artistic and it's like spend a lot of time on things it's always like mass producers yeah. the fuck is like, and, and they're, they're the hero. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? America. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, yeah. Going back to your question, I think Coleman is. I always think who's in now when I get to the cinema the least, which mm. is really bad considering I do a film podcast with you. But because of the little one, because we both moved house recently, I get to the cinema less and less at the moment. Um, Coleman would get me in there though, probably more so than anyone else at the moment. And then you just mentioned it as well. We've had a raft of, um, we have the raft of releases. And I know that you're feeling a bit underwhelmed by phase four and five. Uh, well, sorry, five, five and six. six. Five and six. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, Loki season two I'm looking forward to. Obviously the big one is Daredevil Born Again. Yeah, and do you know what? I've got to admit, I wasn't that interested in She-Hulk purely because I don't really know the... But then that trailer just got you with Charlie Cox at the end, didn't it? Yeah, but She-Hulk, the second trailer does make it look a lot It does funnier. look a lot better, yeah. And um, Like how and she's that, better than Banner at everything. It's like, maybe I don't need to train you then. And also, I, I you know, I've, I've got it wrong with every Marvel show so far that I've been like, that's not really for me. And I've watched it and gone, that's really fucking good. <laughs> so yeah, let's go. She'll bring it on. Mm. I think the, the Daredevil is the big one for me because I, I, uh, with it being born again, which they kind of did in season three, like season three was all about him yes. kind of going back to his roots and his, like his upbringing. And he, you know, that the only thing I can think of is, and it would be genius if they do it is, is he went in the blip, mm. but, oh yeah, but Kingpin didn't. And oh, I was able to, and he's mate. coming back, and now he's come back after the the, the after, uh, and Kingpin has got back to where he was. That's actually epic. That's a really and good. That's idea. why they, it's going to be born again, and it's not about him. It's Kingpin who's born again because we've got kind of had the born again storyline already. So that to me is really exciting, and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Fantastic Four, yeah, because we've just been talking about it. Phase six, where they showed you that there's two Avengers movies, great, because we knew Kang was going to be the big destroyer mm. in the next one. Secret Wars is Secret also a Wars. huge comic book story. Yeah, yeah, and that's going to be the culmination of all these multiverses coming together. 
the gaps that they didn't have got to be a mutant movie, surely. Mm. Like, that's got to be what they're going to be because they're not going to re- re- announce them just yet. Yeah, because they that's got to be like a spoiler in something. You wouldn't spoil it like that. Yeah, it's, we're going to see a character in one of the next movies that is going to give us that standard, them standalone films. Was underwhelmed with um, Black Panther 2 trailer, but then I think that's supposed to, that was the definition of a teaser. That's just teasing you, mate. Yeah, Black Panther 2, I think, is going to be a movie that is going to be very, very hard to... Um, I don't know really to to give away because it's it's going to be a film that focuses on loss because of Chadwick Boseman tragically passing and it's got and it will do that. The trailer already looks like it's got that emotive yeah. uh, feel to it, and you've got some great actors doing it as well. So yeah, it's going to be I mean the film the film is such a cast on it. You know, Angela Bassett already looks like she's owning it and she's in the trailer for like twenty seconds. Like, yeah, and the big you thing love. now is going to be who is the Black Panther? Who's who's going to take over? Um, you know that figure. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think I think it's got such a weight on its shoulders, but I think it's also got the will of the people that that movie works. Mm. And the first one, you know, regardless of some of the issues that I had with it, mainly around CGI rhinos, um, <laughs> the first movie, you know, obviously did break boundaries. And so I'm, I'm all for, for it. And that, that does then officially end this phase after the She-Hulk TV show as well. Yeah. We got that wrong um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they told us several times Phase 4 was over and we still got it wrong in our episode no I did say in it I did oh, say, did I, did say I don't think it's finished yet but on the run up to that let's look at 12 of them um, because I also didn't cover what if in, uh, in in that last week or two weeks ago whenever we did it um, yeah no but the big one I'm looking forward to is Sandman that comes out on Netflix this thank week thank you yes me too sorry I don't know why mm. so because I came out of nowhere like I wasn't expecting it it looks scary as hell I'm annoyed though because I've always had this idea for a fictional story. It looks like apparently I've just played Rust. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> so. well, Sandman, that's Gaiman's like big one. I mean, it's one of those that Gaiman's been approached time and time again to that's have a certain. He's no. done audio books and he's yeah. done radio dramas. But apparently now it's the cast, it's the right directors, it's the right time to bring it out. That is huge. I can't wait for that to come out. Oh, sold. Sold. I, I thought it looks really good as well. And I like the fact I don't know many of the actors in it. It's, and always that, that always hypes me up because I was like, well, they won't kill off the main character. You know, straight away, but they might do it if I don't know who it is. Mm. <laughs> they might play with it. Anyway, it's your comic book film. So it's almost as if that perfectly led me into the next segue, where we talk about Britain's greatest export. The man who knows everything about the law. Marksman, mate. Expert. Nothing gets him harder than due diligence. <laughs> In a world created post-apocalyptic, surprising, where... Do you know what? I've actually got a bit about this, but first of all, I wanted to... I just want to have a quick conversation. You're a street judge. So you are judge during executioner. You're, the streets are lawless, mate. You have to know when someone's breaking the law like that. You have to know that because if not, that rampant disregard for the criminal system will continue. So George Dredd needs to know every single law. Yeah. But do you, Aaron? I can almost tell you no. <laughs> well, it's time to play a game called Real Law or Total Guffaw. I'm loving that. <laughs> so I've got 10 here. I need you to tell me if it's an actual real law. Are, so, they, are you going to, are these, these weird ones where like there's these urban legends that uh, on one day of the year in Sheffield, you can use a crossbow to kill your villain, villainous enemy. Um, these are things I got from the internet. So I don't even know if they're true. <laughs> okay. So, all right, all right, let's go. So it, is it illegal to run out of gas on the German autobahn? Bear in mind, the, auto, the German autobahn, mate, no speed limit. You can go as fast as you want. They, That's they used, as close to Mad Max as we're going to get. Yeah, exactly. The German autobahn. <laughs> 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 the, 
So, do you, so whilst it's not legal to break any speed limit, and they used to test cars on that, which, which is mental. But is it illegal? Is it illegal to, to run out of gas? I'm going to go yes. It is because because of high, basically, speed tolerances on there, you're more at risk to create an accident and, and basically lead to death. So you're more likely running out of fuel to kill someone than someone going 129 billion miles per hour, which is probably not an actual yeah, speed. Has the Autobahn got low fatality rates or so? Or yeah, lower than Lower than you'd think. And weirdly, I, it's one of those weird things that I do think it has a limit but the limit is so high you probably never get mm. to it um so you I'm, it's, it's not one of these things that actually matters if um no i'm having the point james <laughs> have that it point. matters to me right you're one step closer to being a judge mate oh. right is it illegal to count cards in las vegas so card count is obviously that thing that people do to try and win at blackjack they count the cards that have come to mm. see when what they call the deck is stacked is it that illegal i no i don't think it is i think it's frowned upon it's frowned upon and they kick you out of a casino, but it's not illegal. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a law. What I love about this is gambling is so hard. The odds are against you. Like literally in a, in it, there is no game that is the odds are in your favour. Even mm. roulette, the existence of the green zero means that in even minuscule if you're black or red, there's still a chance you will lose your money. Yeah. So you come up with a system where the odds are slightly more in your favour. No, fuck it. I'm going to kick you out of this casino and beat the shit out of you. So it's a dickish. Two for two. You're one step close to being a judge, mate. Hand me my gun. Is it illegal to wear clothes with Winnie the Pooh on it in Poland? That's so obscure. <laughs> that's so obscure, that's got to be true. It is. It's real. It's due to him not having any pants on. <laughs> but this is a big thing. This is a big thing in... Um, this, this is why Hulk has never rips out of his underwear. A lot of the, a lot of the 60s and 70s and uh, comic books. That's why... Um, was it Fing Fang Foo, the, the dragon mm. in uh, Shang-Chi in the comic book, has little shorts on? So fucking weird. Yeah, because no nudity. Yeah, mate, I think you're ready. Um, is it illegal to wear a suit of armor in British Parliament? Ah, I've heard this. And hold on, is it illegal? Is it illegal to wear a suit of armor in British Parliament? If you had said, "Can you?" I would have said, "No." So I'm going to say that it is illegal. You are not allowed. It is illegal, which is really weird because they have suits of armour <laughs> in there, but you just can't get in it. It's like, it's like saying, guns are illegal in the House of Parliament. Here is a gun. <laughs> Please do not touch this. <laughs> um, right. It is illegal to ride a cow while drunk in Scotland. Right. Now, we all know that that should be true, but I want to go, it's not true. It's true. <laughs> it's a real law. Specifically, cow drunk, uh, it is mentioned... Which is just weird. Right. It is illegal to put... Right, this is one of these ones that you instantly know the answer to because of how long it is. Because <laughs> I'm never going to put this much effort <laughs> in this. It's illegal to put a spaghetti strainer on your head before taking your driver's licence photo in Massachusetts. Yeah, that's illegal. No, total good for. <laughs> Do you know how they got around with it? Because technically in Massachusetts, the flying spaghetti monster is a legal religion and that says that you must wear a spaghetti strainer on your head. So therefore, it's a religious headwear and you can wear it in your driver's license. I stand driver's corrected. License. And as someone who's part of that cult, I should have known that. <laughs> it is illegal to fly a kite in Australia. <laughs> right. So again, I want to say it isn't because how can... I'm certain I've seen videos of people in Australia flying kites. Yeah. But you're going to tell me that it's because of some kind of either endangered animal or power lines or that someone wants mistake someone for a... <laughs> UFO, or UFO, and the kid got shot. It. Why would you make that up? Why would you make that up? So that is that is true. It's a real law. Yeah, it's not a law that's actually enforced. It's one of these ones that you were talking about. It's one of these weird ones. But technically, um, 
It is illegal to drive topless in Idaho. That's very specific. He said Idaho. If he said yeah. New York, I would have been like, oh, I think you're right there. Mm-hmm. It is illegal to drive topless in Idaho. Let's go with that is a real law. It's not a real law no. at all. It's a total guffaw. So you can be naked as you want when you're driving around. Well, from the waist up. Yeah, basically. Um, it is illegal to be shirtless in Barcelona. We're keeping on the shirtless theme. Yep. Shirtless in Barcelona. Yes. Anywhere. Like on it's, the beach. According to the internet website, it's about Barcelona was mentioned. It just says it's illegal to be shirtless in Barcelona. Now, I was looking to go to Barcelona just before the pandemic hit. Mm. Like, I was literally... The day that the UK went into lockdown all that time ago we, was the day before I was about to jump on a flight to Morocco and on the way back I was going oh, to yeah, Barcelona. That, yeah. Yeah. And I remember doing my research and there was a lot of rules about Barcelona. They're yeah. a very proud city. Mm. You know, Always so, trying to secede from Spain as well because they call themselves Catalonia. So It's yeah. like when you go to, I went to Singapore once and they were like very anti-chewing gum. It was like a, That was originally on the list. Yeah. But I was like, I'm sure you've brought it up in a podcast, so you'd get me. So I'm going to go with Barcelona. That is, that is true. That's a real law. I wonder if that's one that's enforced. I was like, someone just comes up and tapes your nipples. Imagine <laughs> <laughs> Judge Dredd just pulled this one over in Barcelona. Like, so I am the law. <laughs> Bang, dead. <laughs> put shit on. And then, I think you've only got one wrong to be honest. You're absolutely smashing it. You're definitely going to do that. Um, but your final one, straight out of a movie, surely. It is illegal to dance in the dark after midnight in Japan, the whole of Japan. It was like, they love karaoke bars and stuff. Hmm. And well, if I just stole, sh- if I just stole this from Footloose, mate. It's a, sh- it's a city that never sleeps. Just, yeah. It surely after dark, people want to get a little boogie on. Yeah. Ooh. I've seen Lost in Translation. Yeah. I've, I've seen Blade. Boogie goes on a right go. <laughs> yeah. Is that why I said Blade? And I said America. I've seen Blade. Well done. <laughs> Back to Japan. <laughs> seen the last time right? um, <laughs> I'm sure he's dancing after midnight in I'm, the dark I'm gonna go that's not true it's real law <laughs> I don't know how they enforce it I presumably they go dancing in the dark after midnight in Japan <laughs> to catch them there you go but I still undercover think dances, like, undercover dances undercover got you <laughs> I, you know what mate I'd give you please go on the streets of Lincoln with an armed gun and shoot <laughs> people for breaking these obscure laws I, I with Judge Dredd mm. that alone Judge Jury Executioner what a genius concept. He is a genius concept. Dreads are walking like judges. Mm. The, the judges, you know, like they, they can just walk around straight away and be like, oh, no, that's illegal. I'm going to mm. sentence you to this. Even death. Yeah. It's an awesome concept. It is an awesome concept. George Dredd is a fictional character that first appeared in issue 2 of 2000 AD, a weekly British anthropology in March 1977, created by writer John Wagner and Carlos Espanura, sorry if I've just, well I have, so what's the point in pretending I haven't? Dread is hailed as a satire of police states, authoritarianism and the rule of law. It also has an uncanny trend of predicting upcoming events such as COVID-19, the rise of populist politicians and rampant mass surveillance. Dread's stories are somewhat unique in the comic book, which... Uh, comic world, as each year in real time corresponds to one year in Dredd's time, meaning that Dredd is in fact 83 years old, making him one of the oldest uh, comic book protagonists we've had. This device was used to separate it from comics such as Spider-Man, whose main character has been in college for over 20 years. Yeah, this is the thing with Dredd. I've raised this because I've never read just Dredd, and I've always said... Uh, if there was any comic I'd get into, it's probably Judge Dredd yeah. because it just it's infinitely cool. Mega City One is awesome. Like it just there's everything about it. I'm thinking I, this is probably the comic I would start reading and start collecting. I've, saying that, I have just started subscribing to the Mandalorian comic. 
uh, and the Obi-Wan comic that's just come out in line with the TV show and kind of started an account with Forbidden Planet. Oh, yeah, yeah. They send you... Do they send you random ones or do they send you... They can't ones? send random ones, but then you subscribe to certain runs. So, you know, because I'm a completionist, so I don't want to get like <laughs> a random number of a comic book series. Like I want to start from the, you know, the beginning or, or kind of work for it. I, I'm, like, I'm like the opposite. I get like the popular ones. So, for example, I've got comic books in my boot right now, which I'm taking back to mind. They're all like the Batman, the Killing Joke, mm. Death in the Family, all the big ones. I've uh, got Civil Killing War. Joke. Yeah, I've got yeah. Civil War, but no, like I've you, got Infinity Gauntlet. I've got a few others of books, like four books. I was just saying, you're more of a like purist, and I'm just like, if it's big and it's been in the movie, I'll have it. Yeah, <laughs> but Dread is the one that I think I would love to go into, and I remember saying this to someone that I worked with, um, who was a big Dread reader, and, and was saying about like, you know, but even though he's old, he's like, he's been, he's been like completely burnt and regenerated and cloned. And there's like loads of ways around it. Um, you know, that his age and all that kind of stuff. But apparently he's dark as out and brilliant and gritty. He is. And if throughout its year has often changed. So being seen as a satirical uh, companion on life has in fact come up now serious runtimes. It depends on the character arc you'll do. Still nod backs to its early seventies creation where it sticks its middle finger up to certain rules. However, George Dredd has grown as a character. And like I say, I love the fact that he remains his own age. He, he, a year in a comic run, he's his age. They get around this by having sort of like where regeneration or because it's set in the future, they allow themselves the ability to change certain things. Now, hey, it's time to make the titular character, Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd is the fiercest street judge of Mega City One, meaning he has the power to instantly convict, sentence, and even execute offenders on the spot. Joseph Dredd is a clone from the DNA of Chief Judge Fargo, who was given the na- who was given the name Dredd to instill fear in the population. He has a quote brother called Rico Dredd, and they both graduate top of their class. Later, Joseph uncovers evidence that Rico, his brother and closest confidant, was a criminal, and instead of helping him out as his brother requested, he arrested him. Oh, Judge Dredd fucking loves the law, mate. <laughs> fucking loves it. Further things to know about Dread. Dread's face is never shown in the comics, which is a golden rule of the comic creators. John uh, John Wagner explained, it sums up the facelessness of justice. Justice has no soul. In the original design, Dread's ethnicity was left ambiguous, with both black and white characters drawn. As the character was not printed in colour, the black version of Dread went unnoticed, and this idea was scrapped. Aww. <laughs> um, Dread's, Dread's abilities are excellent marksmanship, expert in unarmed combat and bionic eyes that grant him night vision and a reduced blinking rate. I love that last one. <laughs> very specific. It's very specific. So I'm, when we did our um, our Alien vs. Predator vs. Terminator I, Literally, episodes, this is where this episode has come from, it, so. we, we We crowned the winner of Alien vs. Predator vs. Uh, Alien vs. Predator vs. Robocop. As an address. As just dread. Yeah. <laughs> because when you look into his arsenal and his abilities and his, his uh, combat style, easily the superior one. Easily. He's like a fucking clone bitch, man. I love that as well. The look, the helmet, the kind of the, you know, the the kind of the shoulder pads. I know someone's screaming at me now that, you know, what they are, the eagle and, you know, the gold chains and everything. The look, the kind of the motorbike. One of my most prized possessions is a gift you got me and it's the Dread Shield, but it's got my name on it. It's, it's fucking really? awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I saw that on Etsy and I thought, James will like one of them. He fucking did love it. And then, do you know what I think I got you that year? Syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no I, I, I think that was the same year you gifted me the Indiana Jones 4 poster. <laughs> yes, I was about right. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I imagine, so we're going to the Sylvester Sloan movie first. Well, so what I've done is I've actually split it up bit by bit. So I've got a bit here about George Dredd. So basically, primarily, there are two films that have been made. Sorry, my reason being is that when you said about him being faceless, massive, That's, that was a huge thing with the Sloan one, wasn't it? When Stallone took the movie, he said, 
I'm taking the mask off because this is the moneymaker, the face. Yes. And that pissed off fans. Well, so we're primarily going to be talking about, we're going to take something from the comic books and then talk about how it played out in the two films. So Judge Dredd 995, primarily what we'll call a Stallone one, and then 2012 played by Carl Urban. So this is Judge Dredd in 1995 played by Sylvester Stallone. Dredd is a by-the-book street judge who has an unbending will to enforce the law. He's seen training cadets, giving speeches, as well as training them. He has some friends and is shown to be romantically interested in at least one other judge. Immediately, Dredd has one-liners such as, I know you were going to say that, and removes his helmet often. Mm. Before taking the role, Stallone had never heard of the Judge Dredd character and thought the film was an action comedy and not the grim, gritty cop drama that director Danny Cannon had wanted. This led to massive interference from Stallone and the filming company. Stallone pushed for the film to be made into a PG-13 rating and demanded constant rewrites and had several scenes cut from the film. And then this is not related to um, the Dread character that's portrayed. Director Danny Cannon was so disheartened over this that he swore he would never work with a big name again and that the film was nothing like the one he had originally signed on to do. That is good when you're the director saying that. But that's, I think, you know, Night Five is probably Stallone's highest. This is the highest he's going to get. The nineties, you know, he's an action it's a, star. It's a weird, it's a weird time for Stallone. I often think the mid nineties is a really good stage for Stallone. You got, you know, Copland's on its way. You've got films that shouldn't be good, like Stop Him and My Mum Will Shoot, which yeah. is like it, it's not good, but in a cult way, it kind of is. Yeah, it's always they're not making it, are they? <laughs> no one else no. is making that film. So there's that time of you know where he's moved away from Rocky and over the top and those kind of films and Cobra and all that stuff. And that 90s, he's a really, you know, he was a handsome chap. He was, he was cutting his chops in acting. You know, mm. he's, he, he won Oscars by this point. You know, he's well established. He was, you know, Planet Hollywood. He was the guy. He was doing he was, like popular films like Demolition Man had come out by now. Yeah. So. But this film, unfortunately, is, is, is a lot of the rumours on set are that he was, he was a bit of a diva. Well, I don't think it helps that he doesn't know what he's doing. He was told it was an action comedy. So I've always said this, Stallone is one of the most underrated people in Hollywood because he knows what makes a good movie. You know, he, he, he knew Rocky was going to be a massive thing. So they sold it. He had nothing when he was making Rocky and he still wouldn't sell the rights mm. until he was going to do that. So he knew what it was going to be. Copland, he knew what that film was going to be. But he, just, but he doesn't know the source material and he thinks, you know, after, he's, oh, it's another Demolition Man. It's not. It has an already established yeah. fan base. It's weird though, isn't it? Because he's just done Cliffhanger in 93 as well. And like, like, I love him just sitting down. It's like, right, so I'm a survivalist. I'm a mountain expert, but I get to kill people. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I'm demolition man. I've been frozen on ice I for ages. Kill but I wake up and I fucking kill people. You know, it's like, assassins, I'm an assassin. You know, like, you know daylight, I'll kill people. No, daylight's probably the exception, but... Do you know I, I mean? don't know. Like, he did he kill someone. Doesn't he like someone break the neck and he's like, he ties them down and lets them drown. It's just like, should I take you out mercilessly? He's like, no, nah, fuck you. The only thing about Daylight I remember is Vigo Mortensen being completely unlikable in that film. Yeah, not in it for that long. He's like the millionaire Splunker who's yeah. like, I'll get us out of here. It dies. <laughs> See it. Next to die. <laughs> um, yeah, the specialist. Yeah, the movies that were coming out of that time for Stallone, you know, like he was a big hit. The 90s were good for Stallone. Like, the Demolition Man is the exception to the rule. So the problem is he's not. And this is essentially what it is. He's not dread. He, after the facade is dropped when you first meet him, which you could say he's quite dreadish, I am the law. It dies after that. The, the helmet doesn't stay on. It comes off by every opportunity. Um, he starts kicking one-liners. What I really love about this is, and I, I hate to be the person that, you know, sticks up for Rob Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> but Rob Schneider is the first person, he's literally just come out of jail. 
And he's a home that he's in is a this prole home and he's there and there's armed militants there <laughs> shooting the place up and he doesn't want to be there. So he hides from the drama by being in a droid. And then after Dred's come in and killed everyone, he notices that this man's carrying it. He sends him back to prison for breaking his parole. He's like, oh, so you wanted him to shoot you, didn't you? <laughs> How is that the law from protecting your life? Just think, Dred's not a good person though. And he's got that really weird thing where he thinks stoic is the same as... So he doesn't say anything during his trial when he's put on for murder. And you just think like, well, maybe you should have said something. Like, I didn't do it. He yeah. said, just not, just like, Future just standing times. there like a dickhead. Future times to be silent. <laughs> um, ultimately, Judge Red is a one-lining crack machine. As the film gets on, there's one-liners and jokes. Not the dread that we got from the comics. However, what about Carl Irvin? Dread, 2012. 12. Dread is a competent fighter with many skills and able to single-handedly deal with explosive situations. He is thrown into a situation where he must train a new rookie who didn't pass the test to be a judge, but seen as one for the future anyway, due to certain psychotic uh, psychic abilities. Dread is to evaluate the rookie and give his recommendation. Throughout the film, Dread remains his in his stoic ways and only involves in the last act, literally maybe the last scene. Dread's full face is never shown, and the helmet remains. Firmly on. Carl Urban approached the producers about joining the cast as he was a lifelong fan of Dread. He felt it was essential that Dread keep his helmet on, but due to this, found the role extremely challenging as it required Urban to display emotion without the use of his fucking eyes. <laughs> <laughs> he also gave his he also gave his portrayal of Dread a harsh tone, which he found difficult to maintain for sustained periods. But also, very so barely speaks in this film. He gives out like instructions like a fucking boss. Mm. I think um it's going to come as a surprise here, mate. But the most loyal, most respectful, you got to give it to Carl. Oh, hold the phone. Easy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I know, I know. We're trying to talk about this, but let's you. So you rewatched Carl Urban this week. I've yeah. rewatched them both this week. It's chalk and cheese. I know you didn't want to go back to Sylvester Stallone. We're talking wise guy. Take his character from Demolition Man. Take his characters from pretty much any nice film. It's not just Dread. Carl Urban knew what he needed to do in this film. He respected the source material, and he gives a performance that's great in a performance where he doesn't actually have to act that much a body actor and I know you love a body actor I do mate I do I, I, and, and do you know what and if I was to give it as well to the aesthetics Stallone does look good as Dread the muscular physique the, he has the chin he has the he has the lower lips the helmet sits a little bit better on Dread it looks a little bit oversized on on uh, Carl Urban Carl Urban looks like the Urban Dread though he looks like the tactile you know this isn't year one of Mega City one this yeah. is like they've adapted They've adapted the armor. He's more, like I say, urban. Well, it's actually going to come up, but the, weirdly, I've actually got. I think costume-wise, you do have to give it to the other dread because it's more in line with the comic books. It, it's one of these things, though. But do you want realistic or do you want comic book? And it's, realistic, it's, yeah. you want realistic, yeah. don't you? But whilst it's, I actually thought I'm going to give this weirdly to 995 dread. The aesthetics of him putting on a suit, mm. they actually looked really cool. But you know. Why would the fuck would I want to watch that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. It's like, oh, this, the, the suit looks just like it does in the comic. Yeah, the film's shit. If we're going to go on like lower, like we're going to go on lips and chin. Stallone is, is carved out of granite. And I'd and like Carl to- Carl Urban is, is having to put it on. But I do like that. I do prefer the costume though to the 95 Dread. And I, I'm sorry to be that guy, but I'm just going to say it, mate. Yeah, but then I, I get the decision for the Carl Urban one. Yes. Like say, he has to be more- um, you know, for the stunts that this guy pulls off, for the um, for the city that he lives in, you know, it wouldn't be good to have the exactly. gold chains and the kind of the, the muscular top and everything. He's combat, 
So um, another thing that comes up as well is the, as the characters go through the storyline, Dread becomes very friendly. Uh, sorry, Sylvester Stallone's Dread becomes very friendly and he even becomes friends with the comic relief. You know, at the end of the film, he kisses Hershey, which is Diane Lane's character, gives a big old smooch because he gets the girl and he's just like, oh, you don't understand this story at <laughs> all. And what's really good is about Judge, um, I keep saying Judge Dredd, like you know which one I'm talking about. Carl Urban's Judge Dredd is he only ever really interacts with the entire film with Olivia Thurby, uh, who plays Cassandra Anderson, the rookie that he's training. He, you get the impression up until the last scene, he don't fucking like her. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you dick. <laughs> You're like, if you weren't be here, I wouldn't be here. So, Heads and bounds, got to give it to the Carl Urban. But well, Mega City won the setting, mm. the place where we dwell. So a place where time and time again on this podcast, I've said, even though I've not read the source material and the films have only given you a glimpse of, particularly the Carl Urban one, you only really see a building in Mega yeah. City 1, but you get the impression that this is one of a lot of buildings. I would hands down say that is one of the worst places I'd ever want to live in the fictional world of cinema. <laughs> I can imagine the fucking smell. The smell... <laughs> I mean, the rent's probably cheap, but other than that, the perks are renting in there. Mega City One. So in the comics, Dread's adventures start in the year 2099, where the world has been damaged due to nuclear fallout, leaving much of the world an inspotable wasteland referred to as the Cursed Earth. What remains of humanity are massive met metropolises that dwarf your average city. Advanced robotics have taken most of the jobs, leaving the population angry and frustrated and unemployed. This is the reason for the high rates of crime and the general public embracing such extremes. So it gives the reason why the crime's outright. People are just at home doing nothing. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> Mega City 1 to me is a fascinating place. It, it, like, so I've never read a Judge Dread comic book and I, I asked myself, I'm talking about it right now, why not? It sounds brilliant. It's like the Earth's a shithole. Basically, you've got Mad Max between your massive cities. There, there are very few massive cities left. They're called mega cities. You don't even name them, mate. It's like, oh, should we call it, you know, nice place? Now, fuck it. Mega City 1. <laughs> Just think you've got Mega City 4. It's fine. One day we'll be number one. No, you won't, Mega City 1. <laughs> um, you wanker. <laughs> um, it's got a giant stick. Get back. <laughs> Get back. So... Mega City 1 to me is like one of the fascinating things that you can actually create. I'm well up for that. So in Judge Dread 1995, during this film, we see the halls of justice, the street level, the open rebellion of population. We see the cursed earth. We also see a trial and training of academy members. And the sets are grand buildings with liberal use of early CGI. I'm going to say it. The setting's not the problem with Dread 95. No. It's not the settings. Go away, Ant. Um, whereas, but, okay. But with Urban's one... You only need to see a little bit and see one building and it tells you what that city is. So Urban, primarily set in one location, much of Mega City 1 is shown through a car chase at the beginning of the film. The rest of the film takes place in the housing block with over 200 floors with the action taking place as Dread scales the building, looking for the villain. But whilst Mega City 1 is more of a character in uh, the first film, uh, who gives a shit? <laughs> mm. Because you filled it with arsehole characters and nothing. What you do is you take a simple storyline and going through the building box shows you more. So you've got a homeless person and Dredd doesn't, you know, like uh, Carl Urban's Dredd gives him a chance to move and he comes back and he's like, why are you still here? Then he gets cut off by a giant door. <laughs> it's fucking brutal, mate. Yeah, the second one, the, the Carl Urban one is fucking brutal. It's so brutal. But again, the city itself, the car chase at the beginning is brilliant. It shows off so much litter. Yeah, maybe, just, maybe actually, maybe it's not the building in the city. Maybe it's the fact that the villain is skinning people, then throwing them off a building. Yeah, exactly. Whilst giving them a drug that slows down Slow reality. Out. So 
you're falling slower while skinned it's, to your death. It's weird, isn't it's it? It's pretty dark, to it be is. fair. Maybe that's why I didn't want to live in Mega City 1. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, the, to be fair, there's a lot of reasons. But also, I like movies like The Raids, and I like one-location movies, diehards. You know, there are films, you know, that, this plays into that that really, really well, actually. One building, it, doors are locked. So I guess that comes out of the I would call that one a bit of a draw. Because if I know I I'm trying to make it like some sort of competitive element. Like we but everyone knows listening to this, it's twelve. It's twenty twelve. It's Carl Irvin. But just play along a little bit. The Lawgiver. The Lawgiver is a self-loading handgun with a built-in computer that helps control its operation, which can only be operated by a designated judge owner. Any attempted sorry, any attempt by a non-designated user um causes the gun to self-destruct. So super cool. So it is cool. And that happens in both films. But someone who tries to use it, in one of them, arm exposed, the other one, they get electrocuted, right? They so. get different forms of bullets, you know. It's got six. Can you name them? Uh, yeah, I did this before. It's got it's got obviously bullet, ammunition, yeah. armor piercing, yep. flame round, yep. grenade, yep. stun. Uh, some not, form of... not an official six. Okay. But, but in the films, they are given extras. Has it got some kind of acid? No. Got standard. Heat seeker slash hot shot. Don't really know what that is. Ricochet, incendiary, armor piercing, high explosive. Yeah. So, um, but in the films, fucking dual shoot, which doesn't make any sense because why would you not have that on? <laughs> like constantly. Um, the lawgiver, maybe the coolest weapon in the film. Carl mm. um, Urban uses his, it runs out of bullets, which is cool because it's something that never comes up in any other film. He's, he basically has to limit his, his stuff. Whereas you've got... Um, Sylvester Stallone using it like unlimited ammo cheat, mate. Like it's going out of fashion. <laughs> you get a bullet. You get a bullet. <laughs> right. So it's been a clean sweep so far, but what about the storylines? Oh, here we go. Here we go. So Judge Dredd, 95. Dredd is framed for murder by his psychotic brother Rico and sent to the outer colonies. His fellow judge tries to prove his innocence, but discovers that Dredd and Rico are actually clones created by the High Justices. Rico was released from his prison by Judge Griffin, who wants to restart the cloning program, and asks Rico to cause as much carnage as possible to manipulate everyone. Dredd is able to escape captivity and brings along with him some comic relief as he breaks back into Mega City 1, takes on Rico before Rico can create an army of psychotic clones. Randomly, James Earl Jones is the narrator at the start of the film. What the fuck? Take that, 2012. All right. So much, mate. So much on your fucking plate for this. However, there is this story with, um, so one of the characters played by uh, Mox Van Sydon, Um, he plays basically um, Chief Justice Fargo. Yeah. And there's this really cool storyline element. And don't get me wrong, it's just something that I really like. And it's come straight out of the comic books on the Rico storyline. Is they're going to kill Judge Dredd because he's been framed for murder. And he says, please don't do that and I'll retire. And when you retire in Mega City 1 as a Chief Justice, you're given a shotgun and a copy of the law and you're sent into the wastelands to bring law to the lawless. And I think that's fucking badass. But also, why the fuck would you ever retire? <laughs> so, are you retiring? Well, get the fuck out of the city. <laughs> Which is, uh, I, I really like Max Monsado. And, um, he was born in 1929 and he was actually born Carl Adolf. Oh, that's so, a shame, isn't so it? very quickly changed that name, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> just... just <laughs> Because no one wants to call Carl after 1945. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say, though, I think uh, Armand Asante as Rico is over the top. He's brilliant. 
Yeah, he, but, I think he's genuinely a very good villain. But he is also, he's Thespian actor, isn't he? He's from the stage. He's very well renowned so, in the acting community. Strong teeth, mate, to chew that scenery. Yeah, it, it, that's, that is what it is, isn't it? it? And he goes for it, doesn't he? Like, because on the stage, you need to over-exaggerate the eyes and, yes. the, and the, the the menace of the villain. Because you've acting for Rose ZZ. Yeah. You're not acting for the camera that's two feet in front of you. Exactly. <laughs> so it does come across a little bit like OTT in quite a lot of the scenes. Well, I'm going to say that. He's great. He, of these three films, he has the best pronunciation of the word law. It's yeah. him, his is the best. Sylvester Stallone, bottom. Can't and let actually, was this film a PG? Because he does get his arms ripped off. No, this film wasn't PG. He tried to make it a PG. It was originally an R-rated 18, yeah. but it was actually a 15 is so where they, they settled. Well, up until release. Because that's the big st- scene. That's the that's the goriest scene in the movie. Um, so the villains as well, I really like this. And, and I'm going to say this, the ABC Warrior Robot in this film, in the Night 5 version as well, it's terrifying. Me Machine? Yeah. Oh, no, oh no, 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 no. Me no. Machine's the cannibal. Yes, that's the cannibal. We're talking about the robot that he... That rips the arms off. Rips the arms off. So that scene was different as well. You saw it and he ripped the arms and legs off and the guy was still alive. That was one of the things that Stallone changed. Stallone also fought the clone army at the end, but it was too bloody, had it removed. Kept removing up the, he, they've shot so much for this film that he kept changing because he was going for PG-13 because he wanted, he thought it was Demolition Man too. Yeah. And it wasn't, it was just gory but then story. also because, the, you know, it's a comic book, it's inspired by a graphic novel and the younger you can get the audience, the more people they're going to see it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I remember even as a kid when dude gets his arms ripped off but the body doesn't fall on the floor, I'm like, yeah. well, what's holding him up then? Eh? <laughs> yeah. The robot was holding them arms. Good point. So you lose a point there, 95 Judge Dread. Other than that, perfect film. Yeah, uh, Rob Schneider as Fergie. I'm, oh no, it isn't. <laughs> I'm going to say now that of the films that I hate Rob Schneider for, this isn't one of them. He's not the worst thing in this film. If you were to see this film and nothing else of Rob Schneider's career, you'd think he wasn't the best of careers, but he wasn't the worst. Yeah, and, and I get it with Rob Schneider. Like he's made his career as the sidekick, as the best, as the best friend. And this is the best. Is this is the best sidekick he can be yeah. in this film? And it's, it's unfair that in Disney, you know, in Star Wars or in Disney animations, the sidekick's obviously the lovable character. Yeah, every Rob Schneider performance, he's the. He's the douche. And a borderline racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, and I really like, um, well, I like Diane Lane as normal, but it's like she's the love interest in a film that definitely doesn't, doesn't need a love it. interest. Yeah. Like, and also, who's she, you're right, she's trying to like prove that Dredd is innocent. Everyone thinks Dredd's dead by this stage. What are you doing? And she's mm. like, oh my God, it turned out he was, he was a client. Who gives a shit? There's people like dying on the streets. Do like the, um, the idea though that, He's trying to rebuild this program when in reality he could just say, you know, our best cop, Judge Dredd, yeah, yeah, he was a clone. So why don't we just, you know, <laughs> why don't we just clone, you know, he was a clone. Let's keep doing that. Um, but you mentioned it as well. Uh, Scott Wilson uh, plays Par Angel and Christopher Adamson plays Mean Machine Angel. So at some point they get stuck in the wasteland, the cursed earth. They come across two cannibals. And I've got to be, I quite liked them. Um, I think, I love Scott Wilson. He's got one of those voices, gravels here. Um, Walking Dead, he was always, he plays Herschel. He always gets you. I can see him as a preacher, preacher mm. candidate. He does that quite well. And I think the scene's crap, but they're good villains, the idea of cannibals. I love the fact that Stone was trying to make this film PG-30. He was like, oh, keep the cannibals. Yeah, keep, keep, keep the cannibals. <laughs> With the skinned body in the background. Yeah, yeah keep that. Yeah, yeah keep, keep Meme Machine, <laughs> that like robot that's got human skin wrapped all over. And Ewan Remner's the other one, Junior Angel, who was in Trainspotting. Oh, yeah, of course it was. Yeah, that's yeah. the other one, yeah. Um, so, um, and then you've got Jürgen, Jürgen Prock now as George Griffin, who, yeah, he's in it. 
Eighties <laughs> <laughs> and nineties villain. Yeah. So I'm not. So, and also, sorry. What I mean is, the storyline was actually taken from three different comic books storylines. So they tried to do the big one. So the Rico is the big storyline, having him return, battling the cannibals was one, and um, the end of my caring was the second one. So you know a lot, but what about Dread? Dread must take a rookie out on assessment. The rookie, Judge Anderson, has failed basic training, but due to her skills as a powerful psychic, she's given one more chance. While out on patrol, the pair are sent to Peach Towers, a 200-story slum tower, to investigate a crime. But during their investigation and the arrest of a suspect, they are locked in by resident drug lord, Mama, who tries to kill the two judges using everyone she can at her disposal. Simple. It's simple. all it needs. It's literally from The Raid, isn't it? It's literally yeah. The Raid is the, this film. It is, yeah. <clears throat> Villains on the top floor. You've got to fight floor by floor. Every floor is more dangerous. This film is awesome. Throw in the mix the rookie, you know, who's got a backstory, who's interesting, you know, and has a right to be there. It's not like, you know, comedy sidekick or, or love interest I love has she, a reason to be there. I love the fact she failed. Like the like the fact that she failed shows that she's not up to the job, but they want to give her a second chance. Yeah. I actually really love that element because it's not, it's not like, usually if you were to tell this story, it'd be, he's the old way she's the new wave of thinking, no, it's like, your way works, Dredd. She's a psychic. She might help out. She did fail, though. Yeah. And then you also get an element of training day. It's like, you've got one day to impress, Anderson. Mm. You better step the fuck up. And at the end of the movie, I know we're jumping ahead, but at the end of the movie, he's just like, see you tomorrow. Like, this, it doesn't matter all <laughs> yeah, she, we've been through. She just assumes that, she just assumes that she's failed. He's like, did he pass? Like, yeah. This is just a day. Yeah. After all of that, he's just like, this is just another day. Tomorrow we're going to do the same thing again. So we were talking about um, Olivia Thirby, and I think she does a great job acting against. And what's really weird, she's the heart of the film because Carl Urban's dread, as we've shown, he's the badass body. Mm. There's no heart. You've got to have some sort of emotion in there. Carl Urban's best moment is when he gets on the intercom after she's been kidnapped. And he's like... So basically Mama about 20 minutes before this thing gives a speech about like stay out of my way if you don't want to get in the way citizens I'll kill them I'm after these judges and then like 20 minutes later he's like I am the law yeah Mama's like, off the law he's like I'm, I'm the, law. the law get the fuck out of the way <laughs> I'm going up and he's just like oh. and also doesn't doesn't hurt the fact that Lena Headley who plays Mama so hot at that time she's fucking brilliant mm. give it give it male um, in these films it's all usually a male so gender swap that she's a better actress than fucking most Everyone else in this film, she smashed it out of the park. Really loved the scarred look and the backstory to give her about she was a former prostitute, someone caught her up, that, then they never saw that person again. <laughs> Just yeah. so dark. That's that's on the way out now, isn't it? A lot of people, um, a lot of communities of scarred victims are, you know, saying like, stop making villains, yeah. particularly from the Bond franchise. Like, let's go back to the days where Bond villains had three nipples. Like, that's that's the Bond villain I want to see. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Not the guy with diamonds, that's fine. <laughs> no, not that guy. <laughs> But yeah, the, the whole um, scarred villain is is on its way out, isn't it? And, yeah. and you know, there is a very vocal community that that does affect. Um, so other things that um, happens, I, I, sorry, um, Olivia Thilby, so Cassandra, so Anderson. So there's another villain called Wood Harris. Um, he plays Kay. So Wood Harris is famous from being in The Wire and that type of thing. Very good actor. Um, he's the one that's, he's the one that they've tried to keep alive. He's the one that she reads his mind and realises, oh, actually, he knows something more than he's saying. So that's, he's the reason to keep alive. She's the, he's literally the reason why the whole place is on lockdown. And he starts having this great banter with her and they start having this thing like she's reading his mind. So he gets really dirty and filthy. So then she goes in a scene that seems out of place where she basically just mind fucks him. <laughs> she's like, Oh, is that what you thought was going to happen? No. And he's terrified, haunted. Um, I think they have great chemistry. 
And then there is a scene that I don't think holds up that well. And that's when Dredd starts fighting four corrupt judges that happen to be there. Literally, because I can't determine, because it's so dark and grainy, I don't know which one's which. That was a good twist, though, it in, the, um, in, in the film. I, I, when that, when, I remember when I saw that cinema, I remember thinking at that point, I was like, didn't I see that coming? That, they were, that, ju- that the judges could be corrupt or bought or not have the high standard. Because we'd noticed that Stallone, and very shortly, in a very short time, we know that the Carl Urban can't be reasoned with, can't be... Um, you know, he fucking loves justice, mate. He fucking he loves the law. Yeah. <laughs> he loves justice. And the idea that actually, no, there are those that aren't on the same fucking extreme as, as Dredd, you know, and can be bought, can be corrupt. He, he does. He, what I love about this is he knows instantly that they're corrupt because he says, the court came in for two judges. You only asked about one. And so he's like, oh, so you must have gone up to the top floor seeing that the second one's been captured. It's like, what if we just misspoke? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what if we just made yeah. a mistake? Right? <laughs> <laughs> to assume it. Right? So he starts kicking ass and taking names. Um, so I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, we, we've had a, conversa- a quick conversation about the two dreads. It's clear the winner. Carl Urban's a fan. It's gritty, realistic. It takes away, it takes away. We also talk about adaptations can't be 100% because if you try to please everyone, you'll please no one. Star Wars, that's literally the, the ninth film. That's what I tried to do. Try to please everyone, please no one. So yes, they take away, they strip away some of the pageantry. You don't show so much of the world, but you also offer up the explanation that in sequels, you can do that. It's a, mm. it's a film that's designed to take you in. It's an origin story without being an origin story. We know everything we know about George. Uh, we know everything we need to know about the world because of a, a crawl text at the beginning. We know what Judge Dredd is like. So what's my point in trying to stick up for Judge Dredd, a film that came out in 1995? So in 1995, I was nine, and this film was a 15 and this was the first film I remember my granddad taking me into the cinema in Cork in Ireland. He snuck, he didn't even sneak me in, mate. I was nine years old. I quite clearly looked nine. My gross spurt came in my teens. So at nine, I looked like a nine-year-old. My granddad just went over like, two tickets, Judge Dredd, please. And my granddad loves classical films. And there was no fucking way he wanted to see that film. And he took me to see it. And he sat there for the two hours and watched Rob Schneider. <laughs> so do you know what? Salute that. <laughs> so Joe Kelly, my granddad, um, this is the, genuinely the first film I remember talking about. Every time George Dredd is mentioned, I have that. I was eating popcorn in a cinema in Ireland with my granddad for the first time that I remember. I, it wasn't the first time I've gone, but it's the first memory I have. Should people get their arms ripped off. People, in a film that I definitely shouldn't have been watching. <laughs> this is, is, and you know, my granddad, I got my love of cinema from my granddad. So when we were doing this film, I was like, I'm going to stick up for the 95 film. Do you know what? Is it bankrupt? Do you know what the problem is? is there is a good film in George 95. The problem is Stallone's in it, and Stallone changed the film. The elements that are kept, such as the world building, like being on Cursed Earth, or the uniforms they use, they're correct, and there's two, you know, the story, or the, the original comic book. There's a good film. They had the foundations of a great film. They did. I swear to God they did. But then Sylvester Stallone, obviously, we live in a world where they wanted money, money, money. He changed it. And I know it's not a good film. And I know it's a shit film. And I know it's got Rob Schneider in it. And I know it's campy. And I know he gives one-liners. And I know it's not Judge Dredd, as Judge Dredd is written on the page. But I don't think it's a bad film. No. I don't think it's a bad film. And I will always stick up for it. I will. I put this above other Stallone movies that people put in high regard. Like, hmm. I'm, I'm not a big fan of Demolition Man. We revisited that a few episodes back, or like, within this podcast at some point, we've done Demolition Man. And I rewatched that thinking... I don't know why people love this movie. I don't. I don't get it. I'd much rather watch Judge Dredd than than Demolition Man. I'd probably rather watch Judge Dredd than than uh, Cliffhanger. 
Yeah. Stop or my mum will shoot. Definitely. Over the top. Definitely. Rocky five. Shut your whore mouth. <laughs> I do, the problem with me as well though is, is don't you think that the front cover of Stallone does look like he's cosplaying as an alien? It just, that's what it looks like. Thank you. It looks it like, does, it looks like it? alien. Yeah, it looks like alien. Is it aliens where you see the mouth? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, does, thank you. I reckon he's going to open his mouth and there'll be a little Stallone mouth in there. <laughs> while of my, while of my, Stallone won't take his hand off because in case you don't recognise him, it's like, yeah. it's like, I'm in this film, we promise. <laughs> Second he opens his mouth, oh, it's Stallone. Carl Urban says less than his film, but somehow says more. And that's, that's, that's damning. Carl Urban, is a perfect Judge Dredd. What does the future hold? Well, for the last four years, so for, since 2018, they've said they've been making a TV series. I know COVID hasn't helped, but apparently there's a TV series about recruits. It's not going to be about Judge Dredd. It's going to be a TV series about recruits, and Judge Dredd is going to be a character that's in the background. And Carl Irvin says he's up for it, but he's got a busy schedule now. He has literally become even hotter well, he's hot than now. He he's hot. He's, he's, his uh, salary's increased, and... There was beef online, wasn't there, with the director of Dread and Urban talking about recasting. Yeah. There was a couple of back and forth, wasn't it? That a lot of people were saying, is this just yeah, the promotion? Promotion, you yeah. Know, and it's actually it's to get the juices flowing for a Dread 2. But it is, I, whenever I listen to podcasts or I watch polls of movies that deserve a sequel, Dread is firmly in there. Even in our episode when we did a what films, standalone movies deserve a sequel, I think you, me, and Sam at the time all put Dread in our list. Yes. I want to see another Dread movie. I do want to see another Dread movie. I don't know if you'll top this. There's, there's, but there's a playground, isn't there? There's so much. Well, you know, we were talking about Dread. They were talking about his history. We're talking about so much. There's so many stories to tell. Reading online this week, there was no way to really get them in there. But some of the storylines that stick out look so awesome. Like, he goes to French City one to show them how to dispense justice. I just, think that's, I just thought that was like <laughs> the really American cool. way. <laughs> just thought it was really cool. Well, he's British, isn't he? Oh, it's all yeah. saying like makes well that's the thing is ambiguity ambi- ambiguity word? ambiguity is where it's at um, but you know what I watched them both this week and I had some fun but you know me I'm not I'm not good with that damn words mate but that Esther so this is a review of <laughs> just the 95 one what's your favourite luncheon mate if it's ham you'll love this movie <laughs> a movie that boils down to the campy battle between the law with its order and chaos for the sake of evil I respect Stallone for not laughing as he delivered I am the law and I kind of expected him to say I'm justice or vengeance the best comedy moment was the guy Rob Schneider not Zach was hiding in the recycled robot unit which was the best robot I liked the rundown world it was set in and dinginess of the film he's dingy <laughs> I liked the narration of the street cop who was offered promotion spoiler but knows that politics corrupts so by rising from the ground up, you no longer fulfill the job you're assigned to do. Which is a fucking great point. Like but, at the end, it's like, everyone's dead. Be the new chief justice. He's like, no, no. <laughs> That's a good point, isn't it? You, 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 your, your work is to maintain something that the people above you don't believe in or are as bad as. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good review. I mean, and she said, I would definitely rewatch on a lazy Sunday evening. Did she watch Dread? She didn't. She did, but it was, she only watched half of it. See, because I wouldn't... So she couldn't ask. Yeah. She she knew it was the superior film, but I think we just... Because we were laughing with Dredd, and I know I know you shouldn't base things on emotion, but weirdly, Judge Dredd has got one of the most memoric bonds I've got. Which, which is on emotion all the time. Yeah. Like, Die Hard, it kills me to say it, right, James? Die Hard isn't a perfect movie. It isn't. There are flaws in that film. There are flaws in it. <laughs> but it's still the perfect movie to me because of when I watched it and, and when I watch it now as an adult... Um, it doesn't have to be perfect to to have a special place in your heart. There are movies that I think you and I both have that 
you know, we know aren't cutting the mustard and aren't winning awards, but they just fucking mean something to you and mm. let it mean something to you, you know. And that's the beauty of film and cinema. The poster does, though, say on it, in the future, one man is law. Well, he's not the only dread, though, is he's he? He's not. So even the poster's wrong. <laughs> if I if guns to my head now, if I had to watch one of him, it would 100% be dread. 2002, uh, 2012, the Carl Urban one. Mm. But I will go back to the Stallone one when it's not, it's not on any streaming service. No. But if I got my hands on a copy or if I went around someone's ass and like, oh, dude, I'll just buy what's just read. Fucking game, mate. Let's go. Let's put it on. And I know it's got Rob Schneider in it. <laughs> I think, do you know what? That's the biggest compliment you can give this film. It's still, it's watchable and it has Rob Schneider. It should be on the poster. <laughs> that should be on the poster. <laughs> yeah. Stone and Schneider and still watchable. In fact, actually, in fact, I may get my Rotten Tomatoes accreditation <laughs> just to put that just in Just to comment on any movie that Rob Schneider's been in that's acceptable and just have that as the comment. Just copy and paste it. It's, it's acceptable. And Rob Schneider's in it. <laughs> Obviously, I won't be writing that on Juice Bigelow 2. European no, Gigolo. No, this is a film. That's a, so that, so that was Dread. I tried a bit something, and try something a bit different. I really. really want to get some Dread comics. Yeah, well, I was literally at a car boot sale today with a former, well, he's not a former friend, but we don't talk about him. But he, uh, he, bought, he bought some as well. Like, literally, they're out there. He's got five. You got Dread comics? He got one. Mm. The rest of them was. T- you think you got like a Christmas Spider-Man one? But I don't question it. Of course you do. Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So what we and weirdly, in the corner there was a sex doll, but you didn't mention it. It was just dressed up, and it was there. A sex doll. <laughs> yes. A car boot set. How much was it going for? I don't know. I do. I won't go near it. <laughs> also, why would you ever buy a second-hand sex doll? <laughs> anyway, taking a turn. Judge Dredd. What next for you? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? I don't know. We, we need to go back and do the A's at some point. We've had we've had a couple of offers online for people to join us. A to Z of animals with M. Yeah. M at the movies. That's that's definitely coming. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to do that at some point. Uh, I do want to do Best of British again, but I want to compare British films to uh, T brands. Obviously. So what is the typhoon of cinema? Yeah. What is the, the top tier of Yorkshire tea? Well, it's definitely when Saturday comes, right? <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> Um, if I can get my coffee on when Saturday comes, that's the film I definitely want to do for episode 300. We probably also need a play-by-play at some point as well. We do. Another play-by-play, because they always go down really well. Well, that's our show for this week. That was Dread versus Judge Dread. Of course, there was only one winner, that's Dread, but <laughs> Judge Dread is not to be sniffed, because there are some moments in there. And if you're of the same age as me and James, um, it probably grew up as one of them films firmly in your catalogue mm. as, before you knew any better, it was acceptable. Yeah. And therefore... <laughs> you didn't know right. any better, did you? <laughs> yeah. God, I love Dread. What a character. So mm. cool. And hopefully got a bright future. The 83-year-old is still kicking. Why not? That's our show, London. And if you like it, don't forget to uh, leave us a review, subscribe, get a new episode each and every week. The quest continues to find the greatest movies of all time. I don't think either of these are making the vault. No, probably not. This is, maybe one day. Maybe one maybe day. Maybe one day. The vault is for, you know... The truly epic. Yeah, the absolute top. The creme de la creme of the cinema world. Dread was a fucking enjoyable from start to finish. Mm. Dark, twisted, gritty, violent, bloody, oh, nasty in places. It's very nasty, but not perfect. Entertaining. But very good. But not the vault worthy. So our quest continues. If I don't see that, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Goodbye.